Welcome to this week's Duck Territory podcast with Matt Prem and Eric Scopel. Fresh off another just, I don't know how to describe this, but yeah. we'll call it a tough loss. Uh, 31-14 UCLA over Oregon. Ducks now have lost three straight games, four of their last five. Um, they are playing, they just played their third complete game without Justin Herbert at quarterback. And for the first half of this football game, it seemed like Oregon had figured things out. And at halftime, I was in the press box at at the Rose Bowl and I was talking with people thinking, they score on this opening drive to start the second half. They're going to win. They're, you know, this, this, they're playing well. They're gonna, they're gonna find a way to win the game. And, and once again, zero points <laughs> in the second half, which I think is the, I believe the third time this season. It might actually be the fourth. I think it's the fourth, cause it happened. Did it, it happen? It happened against, uh, Nebraska. Nebraska, and then it happened against, uh, um, Southern Utah. Southern Utah, and it, ha- it also happened, uh, against Stanford. And then it also UCLA. happened against UCLA. So this is the fourth time yeah, they did not I, I score believe. any points. In, yeah, in the and, and, and this one was, you know, and, and we knew this offense was going to take a step back, and, and this is, feels like we're kind of redundant here, but we've said this now for three weeks. Oregon scored 31 points in games Herbert has not played at all. That would be the least – I tweeted this out. That would be the least points Oregon scored with Herbert in one game. I mean, the 31 points combined. I mean, so that's just – that's, I think they've scored now four touchdowns in three games without him, and, and they've scored at least five in every single game with him. So that gives you an indication of just kind of where this offense is, just in context of where they were earlier in the season. And that that's kind of the thing that's really tough to watch is this is an offense that, after five games, was leading the country in scoring. Yeah, 50 Everything, points 50 a game. 50 points a game. And now they're lucky, you know, now they're, they're the new high watermark, which was actually this past weekend, was the most they'd scored without him, two touchdowns. Yeah. And that's the most they're able to do. And and it's difficult because you can tell the guys are fighting. I don't think there's any question in my mind. There's no, there's maybe, no, guys aren't quitting. Absolutely. And I think that's the one maybe encouraging part is I have not seen, you've seen frustration, you know, last week we saw Jacob Breland kind of throw his hands up like, what the heck am I doing out here? They can't throw the ball to me. But we, we haven't seen a level of quit. I thought they played really hard. I thought Braxton Burmeister played really hard. He's just not able to get it done. And that's, that's probably the hardest part. And, um, you kind of count in the days until Justin Herbert's back, but the reality is if he doesn't play, I don't know if they can if they can win any game left on the schedule. And you look up and Utah looks actually pretty favorable. They're they're I think they've lost three in their own conference themselves. Uh, they just got hammered pretty good by Arizona State at home. Um, but can you really expect Oregon with with Braxton Burmeister and kind of the way this offense is looking to score enough points to even beat Utah? Yeah. You, let's recap the scoring here. UCLA gets on the board first with six minutes and six sec- 16 seconds left uh, in the first quarter when Soso Jamambo rushes in from four yards out on a 11-play, 45-yard drive uh, that took almost five and a half minutes off the clock. And um, that was a drive that resulted in Oregon turning the ball over. And this is going to be a common thing in this game where Oregon made mistakes that led to touchdowns. Uh, for the UCLA Bruins. Uh, and, and just quickly on that drive, also two fourth down conversions. Yes. That was crucial. I mean, or, I actually thought the Oregon defense, I was impressed. They came out, they, they looked like they were going to stop UCLA twice there. Fourth down, couldn't quite get it done. And, and that, unfortunately, kind of allowed the Bruins to, to kind of create some momentum. And then uh, UCLA got the ball back again 
um, in the second, in the, late in the first quarter, uh, and they put together a, six, a seven play, 65 yard drive uh, that resulted in uh, Josh Rosen to Pasebo, uh 31 yard touchdown pass, and it was one that I felt like it was. I think it was Diomede Lenore or Thomas Graham, one of the two true freshmen, went for the deflection. Mm-hmm. And it was a 50-50 ball. You get the ball, you deflect it, great play. Awesome awesome performance. And who knows, maybe it's an interception. Right. But if you miss, oh, big mistake. Because if you miss, there's no one there to, to stop him. And as we saw, Pasiba goes in for 31 yards, scores a touchdown. It was, it was literally a, a 50-50 ball. And, you, you, if you're going to make those type of chances, you got to get it. You, you have to get it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, unfortunately, just kind of that could have been an interception just as easily. It was a touchdown, and Oregon did not force any turnovers in this game against UCLA, who had turned it over, I think, nine times in the previous yeah. three games. And that, to me, was a big key as well. And then in the second half, after Oregon's trailing 14-0, I mean, second quarter, after Oregon's trailing 14 to nothing in the first quarter, the offense finds their, their groove, and they, they put together two huge drives, uh, both 15 plays, one is 75 yards, ending with a Braxton Burmeister seven-yard touchdown run, uh, which was set up a couple plays prior to that by a pass interference call on UCLA on third down. Uh, that, that put the ball inside, I think, the 40. And then uh, Burmeister connected with Charles yeah. Nelson on a 22-yard pass, which was everyone's, oh, my God, they connected a downfield pass. <laughs> uh, and then the very next play... Play action, and that's where we see, you know, if you can have the threat of throwing the football, you know, you can run the football effectively. Um, they ran the zone read, and then Burmeister kept it because everyone was locked in on Freeman and went in for seven yards. And then after going, I think, three and out on their next drive, they get the ball back with about five minutes to go in the, sec- in the second quarter, and used Oregon drives again with a 15-play, 76-yard drive that again was set up one uh, – uh, Defensive holding penalty, and then also um, a face mask penalty. But one was on third down, one was on second down. But both of them gave the Ducks first downs, put the ball into position uh, for Oregon to be able to score touchdowns with Burmeister running in uh, from four yards out to tie the game at 14-14 with just about 30 seconds left in the half. And that's where we said, like, look, Oregon's going to get the ball in the second, start the third mm-hmm. quarter. Yeah. Huge drive there to tie the game. Now that they come back out and they can score a touchdown – Things are going to go well. Unfortunately, it started out looking like they were going to move down the field. Oregon gets to about the 45 of UCLA, and then we had a sequence where there was a false start, pushing back five yards, and then we had a, a sequence where uh, Braxton Burmeister decided to throw a pass on a run play. Um, Tyrell Crosby, the left tackle, pulls and is going to the right side of the field, not pass protecting, and leaves, I think, Kenny Young wide open, uh, for a crush. No, Jalen Phillips. Jalen Phillips, yes. True freshman. Who's uh, pretty dynamic. Pretty darn good. <laughs> uh, Jalen Phillips just comes untouched. Yeah. Because um, Royce Freeman's not expecting to pass block because he's expecting to get the ball. And Burmeister gets crushed. They have to punt. UCLA goes down the field, kicks a, a 42-yard field goal. Defense kind of held there. 12-play, 72-yard yeah. drive for UCLA. And it's 17-14, and you're thinking, still in this. Yeah. Don't self-destruct on offense. You're in a position to, to make a play, and then unfortunately the Ducks move the ball down across midfield again, and it's they face a third and two, and um, there was a lot of questioning about this play call. Uh, there was a lot of anger from Morgan fans, I'm sure from Morgan players. On third and two, Oregon's been able to run the ball effectively all game. Burmeister elects to throw the pass 
down the field inside the five, uh, UCLA, and it's intercepted. Um, a lot of people ask instant, instantly, why are you throwing the ball in third and two, 45 yards down the field? Yeah. Turns out that wasn't even the play. Mm. The receiver wasn't supposed to go deep. Burmeister wasn't th- supposed to throw to that receiver. And you had a worst case scenario on both, you know, wrong route, wrong throw, interception, UCLA goes down, they get a huge pass. There's actually another play that I want to bring up was where it looked like Burmeister and Mitchell, and I think they might have been in the drive prior to this one, looked like they connected on a pass play and, and he caught it and they ruled on the field the catch and it was overturned and ended up being, I think that forced him to punt. To me, that was like the turning point in the game. If they catch that ball, maybe Oregon comes down and scores. Finally, have a little bit of a vertical pass attempt. That was probably the nicest deep ball he's completed the whole time he started. And unfortunately, that one was overturned. And to me, that kind of started the beginning of the end in terms of right. just that offense not getting anything going or staff. But yeah, those vertical passes, I mean, they were tough to watch because we've seen now three games of Braxton Burmeister playing quarterback. And we have seen very little to, that leads us to believe that he and the receivers are all his fault. But he and the receivers are capable of connecting on those vertical passes, and yet it felt like they went to that well four or five times with limited, with basically no success against UCLA, and a couple times, obviously that that one to Mitchell where it was intercepted, well, I, with very poor results. I, I think Burmeister. I want to say let's pull up his stats real quick. Um, I I think it was eight for fifteen. I think. Yeah, I, I'm, I want to know his his uh, season stats. Where I, I I believe his interception total is at five. It's at five, yeah, he's five. Yeah, and three of those, you ask, why is Oregon throwing deep down the sideline when they haven't really connected it often? And it, it's a safe, it's technically air quotes a safe throw because you're supposed to over if you're going to miss, you overthrow right. it and you, you overthrow it a shade towards the sideline because. That way it gets away from the cornerback or the safety coming up over the top and it goes out of bounds and you live another day. But my issue here is is that they've done that time and time again. And of his five interceptions, three of those have come on those safe, air quote, plays. And so to me, Oregon shouldn't be throwing the ball down the field no matter how safe, air quote, safe the ball is. Absolutely. Just because – I mean the Mitchell, the Mitchell catch, the Dylan, the Charles Nelson attempt that he almost caught as well. You know, we've if if you're going to connect those, they've got to be perfect passes, yeah. and it's requiring the court, the receivers to make just tremendous catches. Which, Absolutely, those are low percentage plays to me. And and, the, and you're right, they're very close on two of them, very close on two of them. And maybe that's why he thinks, oh, let's go back to this again. But they just had zero success doing it. And I guess if he completes that and it's a touchdown, it's I mean the momentum shifts, and you know, there's the, maybe there's a sense of Relief on his part that he had connected on his pass, but none of those went his way, and unfortunately that one felt like a backbreaker. Oregon went into the fourth quarter trailing by 10. You kind of felt like they're not dead yet, but they're pretty close. Um, and then UCLA tacked on another touchdown, I think, midway through the, the fourth quarter to, to, to build that 17-point win, uh, and then they walked away from that as well. And, you know, interesting thing to note is people didn't realize this, but um, – Willie Tiger called a timeout late late in the game to yeah. you know, give his offense some confidence. I get what he was trying to do, um, but on one of the plays, Braxton Mermeister was scrambling around, got tackled, came up limping. Mm-hmm. He he finished the game, um, but you've got now another quarterback who's at least going into this week of prep against Utah 
suffered some kind of an injury, whether it's minor. It didn't seem like it was serious, but he definitely had a, a limp. And so now you got another quarterback dinged up a little bit. And it's and unfortunately, this is one thing he's been able to do somewhat successfully is run the football. And Absolutely. If you take that away from him, you kind of wonder, and I don't want to diminish his ability for the football, but we've all seen it's not very good. You kind of wonder what his value is if he's not able to run it effectively. So. I understood what he was trying to, I understand what Tagger was trying to do there as well. Uh, Jim Mora did not appreciate it. I think he like threw, threw the end zone on the next play. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it, it's unfortunate that that, that transpired. And, and I guess we'll have to maybe learn this week whether or not that's going to impact what they do on, on Saturday against Utah. Other things of note is that Royce Freeman ran for 160 yards. Uh, no touchdowns again. I think he hasn't scored a touchdown since, it, uh, Arizona State. That's right. I think that's, that's the last time he yep. scored a, a touchdown in, in, in a game. Uh, so it's been a while, but he had arguably one of his best games uh, on the ground uh, against the Bruins. Twenty nine carries, one hundred sixty yards. He just lost four yards of, net, of, of yards on on run plays. He also uh, surpassed Michael James for the all time rushing record uh, at the University of Oregon, and now faces I think just two more guys on the Pac twelve r- rushing record. Uh, for all time, and he's, he's probably not going to beat Marcus Allen. Um, he's just yeah too far ahead. But he can pass. He can possibly pass Ken Simonton uh, of, of Oregon State. Um, for him to get to Allen, they'd probably have to be in the playoff and win their game. They'd have which is with the, the conference championship, <laughs> go to the playoff, with the three extra games. Um, but Freeman also became just the 22nd player in not just Oregon or Pac-12 history, but FBS history yeah. to eclipse 5,000 yards rushing. Um, so he talked about, you know, it was a great honor to have, but you could tell he, he doesn't he, really care. He much. rather would have had the victory. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, and now you wonder where this team is at mentally. You know, post game, Taggart talked a lot about this team needing to be mentally tough. That they need, you know, they lose this game. They lost that UCLA game. Quite honestly, who knows if they would have won or not, but if they didn't, if Burmeister didn't throw the interception, Burmeister didn't fumble the ball on a fourth down. Um, Oregon, Darian Felix doesn't fumble the ball on the opening play. There's a lot of... Aiden Schneider misses a chippy. Yeah, Aaron Schneider missed the chip shot. There's a lot of stuff that po- that pops up of what if. And you hate to play the what if game, yeah. but if Oregon didn't shoot themselves in the foot so many times again, this game probably... They may not win, but this game is probably closer to 20-17 to 17 than 31-14. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, and, and I think... It is difficult because I think something just popped up here on the Facebook Live. I'm not sure if I might have lost the feed for a second here. Um, but it is frustrating because I, I think they made the plays necessary to uh, to win in the first half, and then in the second half, just too many errors. You know, they, they and they for the first time all season it wasn't penalties. Right. I think they only had three for 15 yards, yep. which was which was a season best for number of yards and and for number of penalties. Um, I think there were all three like false start penalties in the offense. So um, that that was that was I guess I guess encouraging, but just you can't turn the ball over like that. And like I said, I think UCLA was last in the conference, so one of the worst teams in the country in turnover margin, and they won that battle two to zero. And both of them were pretty crucial. The first one, obviously, the Felix fumble leads directly to a UCLA touchdown at the beginning of the game, and Oregon got down fourteen nothing, like they did against Stanford. I think, again, you have to be more encouraged because they did come back to tie this game and, and, you know, had opportunities in the second half to win against Stanford. It was pretty much over at that point. Uh, but this team is just still not quite where it needs to be to, to have a chance to win. We do have a couple questions on um, Facebook Live here. Adam Walsh, any update on Herbert? 
Yeah, Willie Taggart was asked about Herbert. Um, one of the final questions of the day, Saturday afternoon inside the Rose Bowl, um, if there was an update, he said, hopefully we get him back soon. Mm. Did, couldn't, couldn't really say much outside of that. He said, didn't know, hopefully we get him back soon. Um, he did say, though, during the game that, look, we know our flaws. Justin Herbert's hurt. But that doesn't excuse us from feeling bad about ourselves and getting frustrated and not competing and not giving maximum effort and not executing, which he said he felt like happened in, in the second half, where once things got bad, they kind of just folded up shop. Oh, well, we're not going to come back. We're down 10. You know, we're not going to have a chance to win because we can't move the ball because Justin's not playing. Right. Um, he basically, you know, I'm paraphrasing there. And, and, uh, but basically, yeah, he, he said this team needs to just, and that's what he was talking about being mentally tough. Is that this this team needs to just be more mentally tough and not make these mental mistakes because it's not it's the same thing over and over again. It's not what other teams are doing to Oregon a hundred percent of the time. It's Oregon shooting themselves in the foot, making mistakes which lead to scores or, or you know other other things in, in the game that hurt Oregon. And that that that's in part what happens when you play so many true freshmen, not to play the hey, they're young card, but the reality is Oregon is starting a true freshman at a number of spots right now, and you cannot, not that every single mistake is due to their mistakes, um, but certainly a number of them are. And, and that's another he, thing he talked about. Of He said, look, this is who Oregon is right now, what the Tiger says. They've got freshmen. And he was talking about Burmeister, but I think you could, you could use his feelings, and you could tell he was talking about a whole bunch of spots that – when you play a lot of young guys, you're going to have headaches. And he's going to be, we have a lot of headaches right now. Yeah. Another question here from Anwar Sadat. Given that this season has been a disappointment, what should our expectations be for next year? Some of these recruits are like none Oregon has ever had before. That should be reason for excitement, right? Yeah. And, and I think just to talk people off the ledge, I mean, the expectation this year was that Oregon was, was, was not that Oregon was going to come back and reinvent the wheel and, and go out and win 12 games and compete for a national championship. And, and if that was anyone's expectation, I think that that was probably a little bit ahead of yourself. Um, we thought they could win eight, nine games with a healthy Justin Herbert, and I still think that would have been the case. I, I really do. Just looking at the way UCLA's played, the way Washington State's played, I think Oregon could easily have won those two games. Um, Utah coming up also would have been a very winnable game. Not that it, and it probably still will be, I think. Um, even without him, if Justin does not play this week, but I, I I think you see some of the building blocks here. I know some people are being reactionary and saying, "Oh, what a mistake!" You know, Taggart was the wrong hire. I think you take away the starting quarterback from just about anybody, any team, and they're going to lose two or three games that they probably wouldn't have otherwise. And I think that's what you're saying. And yeah, absolutely, the recruiting class they're bringing in is is packed full of talent, and 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 especially at a couple of spots that Oregon needs an infusion of talent. You look at a backup quarterback, Tyler Shuck. You look at wide receivers, they've got four or five of them that are really good. They've got some great tight ends coming in. They've got a couple of defensive linemen and linebackers that are going to be good. Um, safeties they're bringing in are going to be good. And they've got depth coming in at positions of need. And I think you're going to see them play. This year they're playing a lot of freshmen out of necessity. They don't have the depth and numbers and the veterans. I think next year you're going to see them playing those guys because they're just that talented. Guy. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I, I think you look at this team and it, I've been meaning to write this story that we need to reset the bar, go back to what the narrative was going into fall camp. And it, the reality was Oregon was coming off an eight, a 4-8 and eight season that 
resulted in a complete overhaul of all the coaches on this coach, as a, as a, all the previous coaches on the coaching staff. Hofrich was fired. Every one of his assistants was not retained. Yeah. Will Tyrett comes in. They bring back you know some talent on the offensive line, talented running back core. Nobody at receiver that was proven whatsoever outside of Darren Carrington, Charles Nelson. We had what we knew what we had at, at, at quarterback and, and uh, Justin Herbert, but everyone knew behind Herbert, huge mystery, yeah. huge complete mystery. There's no depth. So much of an issue. They're playing a, a receiver with the, at quarterback for the first week of fall game. Right, and then on the defensive side of the football, what what did we do? Well, the secondary was talent was was experienced, but are they? Is that a good thing? Are they talented? And then a little depth at linebacker outside of Troy Dye, and the defensive line has some some talent, but again, depth is going to be another issue. Mm-hmm. And you know, general consensus was look. They went four and eight. They're probably better than four and eight in 2016. And the team coming back is probably going to be around a six and six ball club. You you win a couple games that you maybe shouldn't have. Things go well. You're probably going to get to eight and four, maybe nine and three, maybe. That's if perfect scenario plays out. You don't have really any major injuries. You don't have any major uh, defections from the team because of suspension or 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 guys. Giving up and transferring, what have you? Right. Um, none of that. And then on top of that, you catch some breaks and in, in, during the season, maybe you face a team whose star running back is out with an injury for for your week, and, and you, you steal a win or two. None of that has happened. The complete opposite has happened. The most important player on the team, Justin Herbert, has gotten hurt. He's now missed thirty straight games. The starting inside linebacker, as position that there was no depth, little talent, he's gotten hurt. His backup has gotten hurt, and now I think. I, I can't confirm this, but I, I'm speculating here. I think the third string inside linebacker, Blake Brugraff, is hurt because he's not playing. He's not playing. He's not traveling. Yeah. And we've heard Taggart kind of mention, you know, next guy up type type deal, which now means Oregon's playing their fourth inside linebacker. They're playing two freshman backups uh, at, at the inside linebacker spot. You've got Scott Pagano, a graduate transfer from Clemson, a guy that was supposed to be coming in and starting. He didn't even travel to UCLA because of I think he's not healthy. I think he's not in shape because of because of an offseason injury. And we've seen a receiving core who going into into the offseason we thought okay they don't have a lot of talent, but Carrington and Nelson are good enough to kind of hold the buckets until guys kind of fill in and, and kind of get adjusted. Carrington got booted. Nelson got hurt. And people are asking, you'd still win games. Why? What What gives you the, the perception that Oregon's going to win these games with all these negative things coming their way and all these these roadblocks finding themselves? I think I think the, the argument probably is, well, they've won in the past. And unfortunately, the reality is, is this is not the same Oregon football program as there was five years ago where there's as much depth. And you also have to recall that this is now twice in the last decade. Actually, this is three times, if you including the Vernon Adams injury, where Oregon has lost their starting quarterback, and the backup quarterback has basically there's been a drastic fall off, and they've start, they went from potentially a title contending team to now a team that that can't seem to win a game. It happened uh, about ten years ago. Dennis Dixon goes down, and then they end up shuffling out three or four different quarterbacks. Happened with Vernon Adams. They went to Jeff Lockey and Taylor Alley. They had a hard time winning games there, and now we've seen the same thing happen with. With Justin Herbert without Braxton Burmeister. So, you know, history should have told us that 
hey, losing starting quarterbacks, especially when you don't have a quality backup, probably isn't going to lead to much success afterwards. Got a question here from Doug Byers. How does the team feel about playing Carrington, Carrington this week? In Salt Lake City, they are playing it up as a big deal that he wants to beat the Ducks. Well, I'm sure he does. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we have yet to speak with players that will take place tomorrow, and we'll talk to Taggart today. I'm not sure that we'll, that will come up or not. But we'll speak with defensive players on, on Wednesday, which will be the guys that will be locking up against him. And I'm sure some of the receivers will, will have some things to say. I doubt anyone's going to be like, that guy's a bum. <laughs> Screw him. He really screwed us. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure there's going to be a level of competitiveness. You know, and Carrington has had a pretty dang good year at Utah, as you'd expect for a talented senior player. He's one of the top receivers in the conference, and a lot of receiving stats. He's a guy, obviously, Oregon. If not for what took place off the field, would absolutely love to have right now. I mean, well, I mean he would have probably over a thousand yards receiving would until Herbert got hurt. It would be completely. Yeah, it would completely change the offense. And you, and it, you know, we, we've, with the Herbert injury and the injuries at receiver, just not having a lot of talent at receiver. You know, you wonder if having Carrington there for a true freshman quarterback like Braxton Burmeister, how much that might change the perception of both of them. You know what I mean? If if Carrington's there as kind of that veteran guy that can get open and make plays, does Burmeister have even a little bit more success? Does he have more confidence in the passing game? But obviously these are, again, the what-if game, and, and you can't really deal with that because that's not reality. Yeah, hey, I, I think you also look at Burmeister, and this is something I meant to mention as well, and Aaron Fentress of NBC Northwest has actually wrote a good article about it too, is that Burmeister's getting a bad rep here. Yes. Because, and it's an unfair rep, because going into the season, it was very adamant by what Oregon was doing with the depth chart, what Oregon was doing with the reps that we were able to see in practice, and then who got to play in the first four games of the football season Burmeister was set to redshirt. He was not supposed to play this season. And re- the reality is, true freshmen are not created equal. Mm-hmm. Justin Herbert is the exception, not the rule. Right. And Justin Herbert probably had a, a huge season last year, partly because look who was around him. He had Cameron Hunt, uh, while he was an offensive lineman that created a ton of penalties mm-hmm. per game was an experienced player and was pretty is still pretty talented. He anchored and Jake Basarchuk, another a, a junior was was solid along the offensive line. They had three talented redshirt freshmen that played uh, for the most part. Elite running backs and then they had three really good tight ends and they had multiple really good receivers mm-hmm. to help ease Justin Herbert into his freshman season. You put Justin Herbert as a true freshman on this team I don't think he's putting up even close to the numbers that he did last year. Um, That's fair. But Herbert's the exception, not the rule. Burmeister is the rule. Most freshmen are not prepared to come in and play right away. Now, would you hope that Burmeister could do a little bit more? Sure, absolutely. You you would hope that he could he could show some improvement. But at the same time, Oregon's having to throw a guy out there that – they had no intentions of playing at all this season. And, and I've got a source that's told me that he preferred to redshirt and develop, that he kind of didn't know if he was ready yet. So, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think this is a situation where, due to the circumstances, you got a guy playing who probably wasn't ready to play and probably would have preferred to have spent a year preparing. And now, you, I mean, one thing you are concerned about with with a guy like that and, and under these circumstances is, does this kind of ruin him mentally going forward? Yeah. I mean, how, what kind of impact does this have for his ceiling? As a quarterback, I mean, is he able to recover from this? And 
that is something we'll, we'll see down the line here once, I mean, presumably Justin Herbert graduates or goes um, to the NFL. We have a couple more questions here. Theo Perry, does it seem that Taggart went away from what was working in the second quarter? UCLA uh, pushed Broxton out of his comfort zone for the rest of the game. Um, I thought they, they kind of ran us. They did a lot of similar things. I, mean, I don't think they got away from it. I think there were just a couple of execution errors and and a couple of things bounces didn't go their way. I, I don't necessarily think they completely changed what they were doing. Off I, mean, I think they had to throw the ball a little bit more just because the game started to get out of reach a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, the reality is that we saw the two drives they did have were 15 play drives that took about three minutes off the clock. Once Oregon gets down two scores, you're, you mean, and just the way they played this year, the reality is that these, from the score touchdown, it's going to either be a quick strike play or a long, long drive like what we saw there. Um, three games in a row with no second half points. Why ask Doug Byers? We, we kind of talked about that a little bit. Um, you know, I think Stanford, Got up so much that I think Oregon started to press, and then they switched quarterbacks, which should make things easy. I think um, we talked; we've already spoken a little bit about UCLA and, and just kind of. And they should have. They very easily could have scored points in that game in the second half. They missed a field goal. They, you know, turnovers were, were unfortunate. They had a, like a, a long completion that was overturned that looked like it would have been a catch. Um, but yeah, I mean, you certainly feel like they've been much more connected to the opposition in the first half and then in the second half for now. Three straight games, and with Utah coming up this week. Um, Look, I mean, I, I said that there's marked improvement, and this is what made the loss frustrating, is because the the first two games without Justin Herbert at quarterback that Bra- Braxton Burmeister started, Oregon picked up a total and was credited on their own for 23 first downs. And the UCLA game alone, nineteen or something. The number was nineteen first downs that they were responsible for creating on their own. So they almost matched the right. two game total. Yeah, moving the ball in this game against UCLA was not the issue. No. It was execution. That was the issue, and that's what ma- that's what makes things frustrating. I think probably for Oregon's coaches, probably frustrating for Oregon's players, and certainly frustrating for Oregon's fans is that against UCLA, at least it wasn't uh, it wasn't like Stanford where we literally cannot move the football. Yeah, nothing is working for us. We're not going to be able to score at all. Against UCLA, it was we're moving the ball. Oh, we just made a turnover. Oh, we just lack of execution, miscommunication, and and now uh, we have to punt the football. That's what stopped Oregon. It, it, UCLA made some plays, but that's what made things so frustrating. And, that, and that's kind of the silver lining, the double-edged sword, is that, you know, Oregon's still making these mistakes, but they're also, if you look, if you dig into the numbers, they're starting to get better offensively. Now the question is, is there another defense on this schedule in the next couple of weeks right. that you can do that against? I don't think you can do that against Utah, and I don't think you're not going to do that against Washington. Uh, and the question becomes, is Justin Herbert going to be available Um Moving forward, and that's going to be the question every week. One last question here, and then we probably should wrap up because yeah. we've got to head over to uh, Willie Taggart's press conference at noon. Uh, Jordan Fisher, with everything, with everyone agreeing Braxton is not ready, why is he starting? Arguably, the only thing Braxton is better than Taylor is at running. Taylor has won games in the past, so why isn't he starting over Braxton? We need to throw the football. I think it's a valid. I think it's a valid point. I mean, I. I I wonder if Taggart's. You know, maybe this is what we have to ask him today. Yeah. Um, if you pull Burmeister, does that how much does that hurt his confidence? Mm-hmm. 
having to you know having to be pulled, having to be benched. Because yeah. um, you want this guy to be confident in the games that he has to play in the season, and also going into next season. Um, but but maybe he does need to at least give Allie a shot of seeing what can work. And, and to me, it's like, just thinking of the psychology of this, I think he might have missed his window to go with Allie because he could have said, "Okay, we're going to." Allie was out for Washington State, right? He was he had a concussion protocol; he was not available. If he would have picked Taylor Allie to play against Stanford as a starter, that that would have been an easy conversation with Braxton. Oh, you know, we went with you because we didn't have any other options. Taylor right. wasn't available. Taylor's back now. We want to see what guy. he can we do. We want to see what he can do. Instead, he he, do, he goes back to to Braxton, and now it would be it would I mean literally you'd be pulling the starting job from him at this point. I mean he's now started three consecutive games, and if you say hey we're going with Taylor, you do wonder with a true freshman quarterback what that does. So at the same time, for the greater point for the greater good, good of the team. If Taylor Alley is the better quarterback and gives you a chance to win football games, you have to do you it. have to do it. I mean, that was you know, Taggart was asked about how important it is for this team to get to a bowl game, and he he basically said, "I'm not worried about a bowl game. I'm worried about finding a way to get win number five because yeah. if we don't get win number five, we can't get win number six. And so that's the bigger issue here is you need to find a way to, to get that fifth win so that you can then start talking about needing to get to a bowl game. And you know, I don't think. You'd want to go into Arizona seeing what they are now with Coyle yeah, Tate absolutely. needing to win your final two games, which means you need to win this week because this week, you're not going to win against Washington in two weeks. I, I would agree with you on that. I think you can, I mean, you can probably chalk Oregon State up as a game that if Justin Herbert is healthy, that they should win and win pretty handily. Oregon State looks, you know, if it's possible, even worse than what Oregon has looked um, the last three weeks. And and then, yeah, you look at Arizona, they're now looking like a team that could conceivably win the Pac-12 South. I mean, they've won, I think, three straight games with Tate at quarterback. He's put up unbelievable stats. And you look at Utah, it's maybe the, actually the more winnable game because yeah. Utah's coming off three straight losses. So this actually could be a better chance for Oregon to win, depending upon Herbert's health. That's going to do it for us on the Duck Territory podcast. If you're listening to us on the podcast and want to be able to interact with us live, just go to facebook.com slash oregon 247 and like our page there, and you'll get notifications every Monday, uh, every Wednesday when we do our preview show. Our Mondays is our wrap-up show. Um, our podcast comes out Thursday, Mondays and Thursdays. Uh, we, we talk Oregon football. We also are going to talk more Oregon basketball because, believe it or not, Oregon has their first exhibition well, game in seven days uh, <laughs> against NCU. So uh, as crazy as that sounds, basketball is right around the corner. Um, for Eric and myself, Matt Prime, thanks for listening. Uh, go to DuckTerritory.com for all your Oregon football needs, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks, guys.